Blog Talk Radio. March 11th, 2015, no, 2016, yeah, that's the year we're in, Uh, 2016 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness, and that sound that you heard in the background was my phone ringing. Yes, I have a dog bark phone ring, that's very interesting. Anyway, welcome everyone. Uh, We're getting some new news in about the election as I was putting together the program notes this morning. There appears to have been a deal struck between Kasich, Rubio, and Cruz. So let me go ahead and pull that story up. I thank Ed for sending that on to me. Uh, That was great. Ed, for giving us this at the last minute. It's from Eric Erickson over at theresurgent.com. And the idea is that basically Cruz is going to pull out of Florida and Ohio. And Rubio has told all of his people to go ahead and vote for Kasich in Ohio. And I guess that's vice versa. The thing that I haven't learned is whether anybody is actually really going to be pulling out for Cruz, in particular Rubio. There's, let, me, let me go ahead and get this article up here. It says, uh, Jeb Bush had a private meeting with Kasich, Cruz, and Rubio. Cruz's campaign, after a lot of bluster about going all in in Florida, admits that it was all a head fake. They had one event scheduled for today with Sean Hannity in Orlando that was previously scheduled and will be nationally focused, not Florida-focused. Then Cruz is bailing on Florida. For the Rubio folks complaining, He says, I'm told the campaign did try to make adjustments but couldn't for reasons not in the campaign's control. Uh, Cruz's campaign takes down the Florida ads. The super PACs are going to follow suit. And Marco Rubio is revving up his Florida presence and is nowhere to be found in Illinois, Missouri, and North Carolina. The Cruz campaign is redirecting all its resources to those three states, with cruise rallies, ad buys, go TV, et cetera. So it does look, it looks like Rubio is keeping part of a deal to pull out of those three states as well. And then a Rubio spokesman is going on national television saying that Rubio supporters should vote for John Kasich in Ohio. Kasich's going all in in Ohio and seeding Illinois, Missouri, North Carolina to Cruz. So Cruz is going to try to get those three states, and I really hope that he does. So Kasich has no events, they say, in Illinois only one in Pennsylvania after the Ohio primary. So Kasich is now only campaigning in Ohio, Rubio only in Florida, 
and Cruz is avoiding those two states. They are trying to stop Trump. And my question is, and I've got a couple articles talking about the math of you know, getting these delegates between now and the convention. And the question is, is there still a path for Cruz to get enough? People have said that so long as Trump does not get Ohio and Florida, that there still is a path for Cruz to get the votes needed for the nomination. I really hope that there is. So everyone, if you are in Illinois, Missouri, North Carolina, the person to vote for is Cruz. This is part of a deal. If you want to stop Trump, you need to vote for Cruz in those states. Uh, does it mean that Rubio is going to pull out ultimately? I mean, he might get a big number of delegates in Florida. He did well in the debate last night. Maybe he's not going to pull out. I don't know if Kasich is going to pull out. Who knows what, what comes after this? But I do think that if Cruz can get some momentum going, it would just be great to see him actually get the nomination and see this not have to be some weird brokered convention or something else. Matt in the chat room says that if Trump does not win Ohio and Florida, then he cannot get 1,237 delegates. Well, then this is the question, right? If Trump doesn't win Ohio and Florida and then he can't, then that means, of course, that if Cruz doesn't win Ohio and Florida, he also can't. Is that right? Or is it because Cruz is polling really well in other places and so they're also taking into account that Trump is going to lose to Cruz in some other places. Is that the idea? Um, yeah, he says that uh, Kasich and Rubio are done, according to Matt. They're trying to kamikaze Trump in those bigger winner-take-all states. Yeah, okay, so that means that neither Cruz nor Trump. <sighs> and then what's going to happen at the convention? That's what I want to know. That is what I want to know. Anyway, we're going to see. The title of today's show is something I thought of last night, Give Me Liberty or Give Me Trump, and we're going to focus on some of the issues around that today. How is it that Trump, exactly opposite to anything like protecting individual rights? And you know, people have said, well, why just Trump? Why not you also say Rubio and Cruz? Because there's an extent to which they are opposed to liberty as well. And yes, there is an extent to which those two candidates are, but... There is no candidate on that GOP stage who is so completely opposed to individual rights. Maybe, maybe Kasich, but Kasich's just not as belligerently offensive about it. He's just kind of pathetic, right? Shorter Kasich last night was, was group hug. Um, <laughs> group hug and unity was about basically all that he was calling for how positive he is about his campaign. But at the same time, he's just got a whole lot of the compassionate conservatism to him, which is opposed to individual rights. Herman the German in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio is reminding me to call Trump Drumpf. Yeah, I'll try, I'll try to keep up with that. But yes, it's Give Me Liberty or Give Me Trump. That's the show title. Thanks to Bosch Boston for providing his Trump graphic that I could use to highlight my title today. Go to DontLetItGo.com and you can see all the program notes that I have. I watched a good chunk of the debate last night. I'm thinking about maybe the last half, but I missed some of the good stuff. So I did go to the news articles that were giving highlights of the debate. And I was really happy actually to see the New York Times seem objective in the way that it was describing the 11 most interesting moments of the GOP debate last night. They were talking about Trump keeping calm, and I noticed that too, that Trump was not doing his usual below-the-belt 
attacks. And you kind of wonder, is tact and composure, you know, our tact and composure, flattering colors for Trump? Or did it just flop? I guess we're going to learn that in these upcoming Ohio and Florida all-important primaries. Carson endorsed Trump. That was interesting. Um, you know, last night, I guess, Trump actually kind of pre-announced it. But we'll talk about Carson's endorsement of Trump in a little bit. Cruz gives Trump a pass, notes the New York Times. Uh, Cruz just chooses not to go back and forth with Trump about Trump accusing Cruz of changing his view on ethanol. One important exchange, one that I missed, unfortunately, I would have liked to have seen it. Sonny Lohman was raving about it, is Ted Cruz exchanging blows on the issue of free trade with Donald Trump. And I'm trying to pull up the piece that gives me actual quotes from the debate that I had completely loaded earlier over at the Washington Times, and now I have lost it. But as I recall, um, Cruz talked about the fact that Trump was you know, threatening basically to put a 45% tariff on cheap imports from China. And Cruz, of course, is pointing out that if you put this 45% tariff, all you're going to do is punish income-limited Americans, people who actually have a budget for all of the things that are made in China, and they cannot afford to pay 45% more. You're going to, in order to you know, get back at China and get a better, quote, deal, you're going to threaten to put a 45% tariff on goods that you know, again, income-limited Americans depend on being able to buy at your local Walmart and Target and whatever. So Trump comes back, and what does he say? He says, well, it's not that I'm actually going to do it. I'm just going to threaten to do it. And if he's telling, first of all, that he's not actually going to do it, so are the Chinese actually going to take him seriously at the bargaining table? People talk about the idea that what's the use of having nuclear weapons unless you're actually going to potentially use them? against one of our enemies. If you have taken nuclear weapons off the table and all of your enemies know that, what use is it to have it in your arsenal? So if Trump is saying he's not going to do it, he's not going to be taken seriously at the bargaining table. And again, when Trump talks about making a deal, and he talked about making a deal all over the place last night, he's asked about any foreign policy issue, and it's always about making a better deal. But what is a deal, right? If, if you're talking about trade with another country or trying to get some sort of, you know, resumption of relations between a country with us and country like Cuba, what does a deal mean? And the only thing that you could be talking about is either you're going to give them some money to do whatever your bidding is, I guess, in the realm of respecting the rights of citizens. We're supposed to be giving some sort of subsidies, I guess, to Cuba in order to help them make a transition from a completely horribly oppressive state to a slightly less oppressive state. Is that the idea? But what are you bargaining with? You're bargaining with the power to steal money a legalized theft of money from Americans in the form of taxes and use that tax money to give to Cuba. That's horrible. If you're talking about so-called trade agreements, say with China, and you're bargaining, you are bargaining with the ability to initiate force against American individuals and businesses. So if you know Trump is saying, well, if you don't do what I want, I'm going to put a 45% tax on these imports from China, he's 
basically saying that he is going to forcibly take money from importers as a price of the, quote, privilege of doing business. That's what's going to go on. Um, <laughs> people are coming here in the chat room. They're arriving a little late, and they're saying, don't make me do detention. <laughs> I'm going to put people in some sort of detention for arriving late. So welcome, Trevor. Um, how are you? Good to see you here. But, yeah, if, if he puts these you know, tariffs, right, then – what is going to go on? Uh, Matt in the chat room says, if Trump threatens tariffs, U.S. companies will stay here and then the companies have to pay union wages to produce things or they ignore Trump and we get the tariffs straight up. Either way, the costs of goods go up. Yes, and it's because of a Trump presidency initiating force against citizens. All of these deals that he's talking about making is going to involve either taking money directly from us in the form of taxes indirectly from us in the form of quantitative easing and other weird manipulations of money via the Fed, or using tariffs, using other sorts of threats to keep businesses from going overseas. All of this, this deal-making, involves Trump threatening to use force against our citizens. That's what the deals are all about, and it is really, really pathetic. Um, so, yeah, so Trump and, and Cruz engage on trade. Kudos for Cruz to point out this. It would be nice to see Cruz give an entire dissertation on free trade policy, that actually the thing that would be in the most interest of the United States is, so long as it's not an enemy state like Iran, to completely remove all barriers to trade, including tariffs. Why not allow cheap goods to flow into the United States so that we can spend less on those goods and spend more on other awesome things? Uh, there's all kinds of things I would rather spend my money on than the cheap stuff that you buy that's made in China from you know, Target and, and Walmart and everything else. Uh, iPhones could be cheaper, right, if there isn't this tariff. Rubio was quite good, I thought, last night, and one of the things that he did was go back and forth on Trump's characterization of Muslims. We did get a reminder today that some Muslims are definitely better. Rob Abiera shared over on the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook an article this morning. Again, this was after I'd put together all of the program notes, but it says that Egypt is going to ban the... Burqa, or at least they're trying to ban, the burqa and Islamic veils, you know, the veils that cover the face so you cannot, you know, uh, see the identity of the woman, or maybe sometimes there's a, a male jihadist underneath that burqa and veil waiting. And, you know, this is this is dangerous stuff. And these burqas and veils are used to conceal weapons and explosives and also to conceal the identity of the person, which makes it harder to, you know, conduct any sort of transaction with them or any monitoring you know, of government, you know, if they're trying to look for terrorists and stuff, this is definitely interferes with that. So completely, I think, justified in banning the burqa. You know, they can wear it on private property, but if there's some sort of a government property, um, you should allow private property owners to ban the burqa on their own, uh, you know, territory on their lands. Etc. So I think this is a great move, and this just shows you that there are better Muslims, people who are trying to get away from all of this, uh, you know, what would you call jihadist version 
of Islam. So, yes, there are better Muslims. When Rubio's going back and forth with Trump about this, Rubio uh, is being portrayed as politically correct and Trump as not politically correct. Here's a quote from Trump. Marco talks about consequences. We've had a lot of consequences, including airplanes flying into the World Trade Center. You can be politically correct if you want. I don't want to be politically correct. I want to solve problems, end quote, which sounds good. But I like Rubio's answer to this. He says, I'm not interested in being politically correct. I'm interested in being correct. He doesn't care whether the particular thing that he says at the time happens to be aligned with a view that is politically correct. It's just whether it's correct. Uh, Kudos to him on that. The other thing I like that he said last night, Rubio, was the fact that you cannot pass a law that will actually change the weather or change the climate. The idea that you can stamp up and down and, and try to use government force and that you're somehow going to change this very complex system called the global climate and weather system is just ridiculous. Uh, Kasich and and Trump going back and forth on achieving peace in the Middle East. You know, the idea that Trump can still defend himself as being neutral as between Israel and the so-called Palestinians is shameful. And he was called on that directly last night and Cruz was the one who came in and, and made the case this time. I think Rubio did it last time, and and they both are very good on this. But Cruz came in and talked about the fact that Israel is the only free, at least semi-rights-respecting country. He didn't put it that way, but that's the way I put it, in the Middle East. And this is why they're our ally. They give us a tremendous amount of intelligence in order to fight Islamic terrorism Uh, They are a true value. And the idea that you're going to be neutral as between them and the Palestinians, what is Trump's answer? Trump's answer is that he was head marshal in a parade or something on behalf of Israel, and therefore he's the most pro-Israel person on the stage. And he just doesn't get the fact that if you think you're going to be neutral for purposes of these negotiations, the negotiations which involve Israel continuing to cede territory over to the so-called Palestinians, and that the answer that they get each time are more and more brutal attacks on innocent civilians in Israel. Each time they give a concession, there are more and more attacks, sometimes using the very land that they ceded over to, the again, the so-called Palestinians, as I call them. I will never just call them Palestinians. I always call them the so-called Palestinians, and that's the, I believe, correct way to do it. Um, So this idea that he can do that, he is again showing you that he is not a friend of individual rights. If he was a friend of rights, then he would stand proudly behind in all contexts, not just the dispute between Israel and quote-unquote Palestine. He would stand behind all in all contexts Israel, which is the only, well, maybe now Egypt too, right, Uh, rights-respecting government in the Middle East. Egypt is starting to come up several notches, right? Uh, Another thing that I love CNN for last night is calling Trump on a few different things. What goes on at Trump rallies? There is violence at Trump rallies. Trump was quoted by CNN to Trump's face last night as essentially instigating violence. And Trump has no good answer. He says, oh, these are big, violent guys, and the police can't 
be there to deal with them. And by the way, you know, the police are really awesome, and he tries to get a few cheers because he's, you know, giving a shout-out to the police. It is ridiculous, but I love that CNN showed Trump, quoted Trump as actually instigating violence at his own rally. The other good thing that they did is called out Trump, and I guess Cruz also did this because this is listed in the New York Times highlights. Uh, Both of them called out Trump for the stunt at a recent rally that you've heard about where he had all of them pledge to vote for him, and they're raising their hand in a way that actually looks like it's out of Nazi Germany, And Cruz got a great line in. This is a quote from Cruz. He says, I got to say, to me, I think it's exactly backwards. This is a job interview. We are here pledging our support to you, he's saying to the people, not the other way around. The only hand raising I'm interested in doing is on January 20th, 2017, raising my hand with the left hand on the Bible, pledging to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States, end quote. And what is Trump's answer? When he's called on this, this idea that he's got people at his rallies engaging in what you know what is in effect a Nazi salute. He says, everyone's laughing. We're all having a good time. He says, that's why I have much bigger crowds than Ted, because we all have a good time at mine. End quote. So that's his stab towards Ted Cruz. You know, it's just a joke that he's having them all raise their hand in a, in a salute that they're all going to vote. And isn't that lighthearted and awesome? It is not lighthearted and awesome when you are somebody who has expressed praise for authoritarian dictators, some of which are provably initiating force against their own citizens. And this is another thing that CNN did so well last night. CNN called him out for praising authoritarian dictators and you know, they said, okay, well, you said that, you know, uh, Putin is strong and that the Chinese government in, in uh, you know, suppressing the, you know, the, the protest in Tiananmen Square, that that was a strong maneuver. And Trump says, oh, well, I said it was strong. That doesn't mean that I thought it was good. Now, most of us, when we heard Trump praise the strength of Putin or the Chinese government and putting down the protest in Tiananmen Square and initiating force against citizens, if he's saying that's strong, we hear it to mean a compliment, right? It's, it's uh, you know basically praise that he's giving these thugs. And he tried to get out of it. He tries to say, well, it, you know, it, it's just strong. So he's going to be the strong leader who is not going to initiate force in that way. He's only going to initiate force in the 45% tariff on cheap Chinese goods way? Is that is that it? He's going to do the behind-the-scenes way, like eminent domain and all the stuff that he's done in his life? Is that what he's going to do? It's pathetic. But kudos to CNN for calling him out, for continuing to press him on the issue, and making him scramble to try to answer it. And I don't think he did very well. I think the one where he got a little bit of applause was the one where he was talking about the violence at his uh, rally and he was giving the excuse when he was inciting other uh, participants in his rallies to actually use force against the protesters. He you know, he says he's doing that. The police can't be there all the time. By the way, the police are treated so badly and I'm in favor of the police. He actually got some applause for that. And people in the audience should see through his attempt to divert. Um, when he was talking about the strong leaders, he attempted to divert by saying, oh, you know, I used to praise Angela Merkel, and now I don't, right? 
and, and that somehow it's just, you know, he praises different leaders around the world and he praises Angela Merkel too, and she's not an authoritarian tyrant, so you should give him a pass. No one bought that one. He didn't get any applause. It fell completely flat. So I would say let Trump stew in his own juices. Don't applaud him, please, when he is blatantly wrong like this. I, You know, the idea that he can get away with some of that, I cannot believe. I've got a call here that I'm going to go ahead and take. Hi, is this Debbie? Hi, Amy. Yep, Debbie. Debbie, thanks for calling. How are you? I'm good. Enjoying a little bit of sunshine here in Silicon Valley. Very nice. Very nice. Um, how is Silicon Valley in terms of Trump? What are, are you hearing, you know, kind of discussion out there about what they think of him? Um, I've heard very little about Trump. You know, you see a lot of Field of Burn stickers around here and occasionally, oh. and I'm ready for Hillary, exclamation mark. But, um, yeah, there's not – well, I did hear someone at work saying, oh, God, anybody but Trump – and generally, there seems to be emerging a sort of bipartisan resistance to Trump, uh, which uh, doesn't really seem related to what kind of political affiliations people have. It's just um, kind of the more thoughtful types are able to recognize the danger that he represents, whether they right. be on the left or the right. So my general take is that since people in this area are more highly educated in general, that they probably are not fond of Trump and regard him as the threat that he is. But um, I haven't really heard very much about it. You know, it, 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 it sounds like it's pretty windy there. Are you able to get to a place that's not quite as windy? Yeah, yeah. Um, is this better? Yeah, yeah, now I can hear you better, definitely. Um, I got my back to the wind. <laughs> this, this is the thing, right? A lot of people are talking about, actually, Trump was trying to make a lot of this last night. Trump is now trying to take a page from Kasich and say, let's all get along and unify. But, of course, they want everybody to unify behind him. And uh-huh. one of his... You know, one of his selling points is that he's brought all of these Democrats over voting for him. And I was under the impression that the Democrats who have been voting for him in the primaries that we've seen so far are voting for him simply to sabotage the GOP nomination. And it's not like they're actually going to vote for him in the general election. They're going to switch over to Hillary or Bernie or whoever the nominee ends up being, probably Hillary. Oh, um, but some people are saying, well, maybe he actually is going to keep these people. And, and after all, as we'll talk a little bit more about some of his policies, he is adopting a lot of the Democrats' policies, right? So, But you haven't seen support for Trump among the you know, pretty much Democratic Silicon Valley, right? No, but like, uh, hold on, though, because did you say that Trump has policies? <laughs> I'm just confused well, about that. Trump is revealing his policies a little bit more all the time. And there is an article that I've got in the program notes today. Again, go to don'tletitgo.com for my program notes. But uh, Trump says, he says, I'll do what we already do, but I'll do it better. You know, this is also the sort of thing that Newt Gingrich used to say that bothered me so much. Sometimes he, you know, he wouldn't talk about making major changes or cuts to programs, just making them, quote, more efficient. And, you know, what? what is Trump going to do? I mean, this is this is a quote from Trump. He says, 
uh, actually, no, this is not a paraphrase. You know, we'll do all the things that Democrats are trying to do, but we're going to do better. But Donald Trump is really, you know, promising just to run the government better. So he wants to, for example, says this National Review article, the outlines of Obama's Cuba policy, drive a harder bargain. Uh, Try to make an Israeli-Palestinian deal, but he's going to do it better. Social Security is going to be saved, but by primarily working out wage fraud and abuse. Right? Um, Yeah. The structural reform doesn't occur to him. Right. He's, um, this, this, this business about making good deals is just getting downright ridiculous. Um, last night, like, when he was talking about Iran, he said, this is a Ted Cruz, that, or it was Cruz or Rovio, but I think it was Cruz, said that, um, you know, you can't make deals with these people and work with these people who want to kill us. And, and Trump said, well, yeah, but I said I was going to make a good deal, not a bad deal. What, what Obama made was a bad deal, and I'm going to make a good deal. That's the difference. And it's like, it, uh, it reminded me of a line from the movie Caddyshack. It's the only thing I remember about that movie. But um, it was kind of an older gentleman trying to impart some wisdom to a young man, and he said, you know, someday soon you're going to have to decide what you stand for. And I Wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm losing you in the wind again. I'm losing you in the wind again. You said um, someday soon. What? You're going to have to decide what it is that you stand for in life. Right. Goodness or badness. And the guy said, oh, sir, I've already decided. I stand for goodness. Um, the point is that it's just totally without any substance. And uh, same as Trump, um, I really haven't heard him express hardly anything in terms of policy anything substantive. He, he just constantly appeals to emotion and deflects, and, and, he, and he lies. Right. Now, you said, um, you said that you watched the debate last night. Did you think that Trump was effective when he's not doing his usual bluster and insults and everything else? No, and actually, he, he sounded like he was either really tired or like... Oh, you know what? Debbie, if you're able to get to a place where you have a clearer signal, then that would be great. I went ahead and, and cut her off. I'm hoping that Tim here in the chat room is going to hang out um, because he, uh, understandably, I think, got frustrated with that sound. I love what Debbie always has to say when she comes in here. By the way, in the chat room, we've got a discussion going on about one of the stories that I've got on uh, the Don't Let It Go Unheard page. Actually, Don't Let It Go Unheard. Uh, don't let it go.com. Those are my program notes. But one of the stories is about Trump's campaign manager allegedly attacking um, Michelle Fields, who is a Breitbart reporter. And now there has been a police report filed by Michelle Fields, I believe, in Florida. So there's a current investigation going on about this. And... Let me see if I can scroll up in the chat room to the discussion that's going on. Apparently, Lewandowski, who is the manager, admitted doing this to a different Breitbart reporter 
uh, but then excused it and said it's you know, we didn't know it was someone from Breitbart. Um, but now he's denying it. So this is very interesting because Breitbart has come out with a whitewash story this morning. And that whitewash story is saying, well, we've looked at all this footage and we've looked at these pictures and we actually don't think it's him. We think it's some other security guy uh, of Donald Trump. So now we've got the police investigation going and it's going to be very interesting when the truth comes out about this. But um, I've seen anecdotal stories on Facebook, people who have gone to Trump rallies and while they were wearing like a you know Bernie Sanders hat or something, they were completely quiet. They were not disruptive. And nonetheless, I guess periodically through these rallies, everybody gets riled up and Trump basically says, okay, you know, get those people out, these protesters. And even if there has been nothing disruptive done by the protesters, the whole crowd just gets sort of caught up in this wave of emotion. And they all start chanting, as, as far as I remember, they chant USA, USA, USA. And then they get some people to go ahead and escort them out. And if they don't leave, or even when they do, they'll say that uh, you'll be arrested if you come back. And these people haven't done anything at all. It's just another mechanism by which you can stir everybody up in the crowd. Um, we've got more talk in the chat room about Trump. Everyone has got everything on, on Trump today. But, you know, this this thing of stirring up people's emotions at these rallies, this idea that all they're doing is having a good time, he is employing Hitler's technique at this place, you know, getting the people caught up in the emotion, actually taking the rage. And this is one thing that I've heard Cruz uh, use, you know, talk about with Trump. Yes, people are mad about what's been going on in Washington, D.C., but to direct it in the way that Trump has been directing it is really, really scary. What should be done is that people should have a principled stand against cronyism, against the you know big government policies that have brought us to this place. But with Trump, he's channeling the anger and he actually intends nothing you know to do nothing at all about the root of the problem, the cause of this anger in the first place. Um, Joel, if you you're here in the chat room, if you do want to call in and uh, share some of the stuff there, Joel is the one who has really been keeping track of all of the potential outcomes of this nomination. That's the thing that uh you know, I, I really appreciate from Joel. And one of the links that I have on don'tletitgo.com today is from Joel talking about where do we go from here? Is it possible? Is there a way for Cruz to win, for example? Um, Joel is saying the threat is Marxism on one side, nihilism on the other. Trump is your nihilist candidate. Uh, nihilism, I guess, because he's just channeling this anger in a, a terrible direction without offering any real solution to the problems that are at the root of the justified anger. Oh, Joel says he'd call in, but he, got, he has a bronchitis problem. I'm assuming that that would still sound better than the wind interference, but I will I will defer to you with regard to that. Um, Debbie, I don't know if you have any better sound. I could try to pick you up again. Let me see here. Debbie? Hi, Amy. I think it's a little better. Um, there's just a weird weather going on up here, so if you have to cut me off again, I'll, I'll, I'll understand. Um, I, do, I still do hear the wind, unfortunately. I 
do. Um, do you want to go ahead and try and add another point? Um, so, yeah, like you were saying tr about Trump being a nihilist, I really think that that may be the case. And your own Brooks, he quoted Leonard Peikoff um, maybe a, a week or two ago on his podcast describing Trump as unprincipled on principle. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, if you hear what he says, it's utterly without substance, and he rejects any kind of a principled approach, like, for instance, in foreign policy, like saying, oh, these quote-unquote Palestinians are evil, we can't deal with them, Iran wants to kill us, we can't make a deal, it's just keeps completely rejects that, and instead, it's all about the deal, and the deal never has any kind of principles associated with it whatsoever, so um, I really think Trump... Uh, may be a deal. It's plus evoking the rage. Um, it makes me think of uh, Leonard Peikoff saying in the dim hypothesis that as far as just on a metaphysical level, the type of emotion that is evoked or the type of emotional response that the different types of archetypal philosophers appeal to, he says, Kant rage. Right, um, right. And, you know, Kant being the archetype of nihilism. So... Um, I, I do think that may be the case, but I would be very interested to hear what he has to say about that, um, what he thinks of these candidates in the context of their mode of integration. Right. So I wonder no, if I could <laughs> get him to answer no. that on his podcast. <laughs> yeah, it would it would be great if he did this. Now, Joel here in the chat room, he says, um, actually, I'm going to go ahead and put you on hold because I'm hearing the, the wind again. Um he says that uh, Trump supporters don't care about your fancy arguments and such. They just want revenge, and they want to see the world burn. And that seems like what you get from a number of uh, Trump supporters. Now, Matt says, I don't think that, that Trump is evoking rage. They are rightly pissed off at a two-party system that all too often behaves like a one-party system. That's right. They are rightly pissed off. But what is Trump directing that rage toward? You know, he, he is having them act out on the rage at their rallies in ways that are unjust and sometimes violent, which is terrible. And in terms of any policy proposals that he has, all of the policies are just to continue the status quo, but do it a little better because he's going to make deals. And his deal making, again, what does it mean to make a deal if you are a president, and especially a president who's going to you know, kind of throw around his power like Donald Trump. It just means dealing with the legal monopoly on the ability to use force. And he plans to use that to his benefit whenever he can. Okay, so now my Safari browser has completely frozen. Oh, my whole computer has completely frozen. So let me, i got to restart my computer in order to do this. This is really annoying. Um, I love Apple. I do. But my Mac laptop just dumped on me, so this is no good. Now, um, other stories that we're going to talk about is, of course, Carson endorsing Trump. Who saw that coming? I don't know who saw that coming. I didn't think that Carson would stoop to the level of endorsing Trump. And the way that he tried to portray it was that um, there are two Donald Trumps. 
That's the story that we heard from him, that there's two Donald Trumps. And so he's, of course, endorsing the good Donald Trump. Um, and that's the one that you know we should all get behind is the good Donald Trump. I guess the other Donald Trump is just one for show, you know, politics and everything else. And, and uh, we shouldn't take that too seriously. What I wonder is, are there two Ben Carsons? Or have we been basically duped the entire time that Ben Carson is not the person that we thought? Somebody who, even though if he doesn't completely understand what he's doing, he seems to want to uphold the Constitution, defend the Constitution. But yeah, Carson says there are two different Donald Trumps. Um, And then Donald Trump himself at the same conference says, well, perhaps there are two Donald Trumps. So that's one Donald Trump that you heard. And then I guess right after, he reversed himself when the reporters seized on the comment. He says, I don't think there are two Donald Trumps. So actually, there are two Donald Trumps. There's the one who says that there are two Donald Trumps, and there's one who uh, says that there are not. But what is Carson doing? Is he evading what's going on? Is he a different person than we th- you know, than we thought he was? I am glad that I never really supported Carson as much as I sometimes thought that I liked him very much. Now that's gone. But Fiorina, I might have been able to support Carson no way. And as we've seen it fall out, Fiorina goes and endorses Cruz. Yay. But then Carson endorses Trump. It was pretty pathetic. Um, People are still talking about Trump and anger here in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio. Uh, Matt says, I don't want Trump given credit for making people mad. People are mad. Uh, They're tired of being lectured to about Islamophobia every time a Muslim terrorist leaves a stack of body bags somewhere and it grates on people. That is right. And as I recall last night, Cruz was excellent also on the on the topic of is Islamophobia, that how bad that term was. There is so much that is so good about Cruz. And again, I hope that one of the things that could happen is that he could be, you know, actually get the nomination. And hopefully not through a broker convention. Why? Because then presumably Trump would behave himself and not do a third party run and not sabotage everything. But I don't know. I don't know whichever way a nomination for anybody other than him comes about, he may nonetheless try to sabotage at this point, given the person that he is. If he is truly nihilistic, that's exactly what he's going to do. Another story I wanted to share with you is from New York Times this morning uh, about Trump University. There's been a lot of stuff coming out at Trump about Trump University, the fact that there's class action lawsuits, at least in one place, maybe in two places. There's litigation in two places. I know one of them is a class action. And former students of Trump University, where they supposedly share all of his real estate mogul secrets, uh, those former students are suing, saying that this thing is a scam. And one of the major, you know, kind of points of defense that Trump is trying to make on his own behalf is the positive reviews that students have given. They they even got a URL that has 98 as part of the URL, 98% something or another uh, .com, basically that they're showing that they got 98% positive reviews at Trump University. So New York Times dug deeper, good for them, and the headline is, at Trump University, students recall pressure to give positive reviews. And if you read this, it talks about the fact that 
you know, they had people who worked for Trump University and would give classes all over the country, maybe some sort of franchise or whatever, and they would get paid according to the reviews that they got. They would continue to get engagements teaching for Trump University depending on the reviews that they got. And unless they got, I think, a 4.5 or a 5, which is out of 5 stars, then they wouldn't continue to get you know, engagements and, and students. And they would get paid quite a bit per student, so they had a high incentive to get these really um, excellent reviews. But what they would do is unlike it, you know, in traditional academic setting, what you do is you hand out the evaluation forms to the students. You assign one student to be in charge of collecting all those evaluation forms and delivering them to the appropriate office that's going to, you know, anonymize and collate and whatever the results. And you leave. You, the professor, you leave. And if you actually want objective anonymous reviews from your students, then that's what you want to do. You don't want to be there hovering over them while they are filling out these reviews. But in Trump University, that was exactly what was done routinely time after time. There's a number of people who had either attended Trump University or themselves were teaching for it, and they would recount this practice of sitting right over the person face-to-face while that person is filling out the evaluation. And as you know, people generally like to be nice. You know, most of us like to be nice people. We like to avoid confrontation. That doesn't always work very well, of course, but we do. We like to avoid confrontation. And, um, you know, this is a, I don't know who Mr. Reed is actually who they're quoting here at the at the bottom of this, but he's saying people don't want to fight. Oh, yeah, um, he's a paid expert witness for the, the plaintiffs, Reed, John T. Reed. He says, people don't want to fight. People don't want to be mean. People want to be non-confrontational. And he says, they write a seminar evaluation and hand it in face-to-face. And he says, that is where you get your 98% positive reviews. There was one person that they talked about in this article who talked about having handed in a negative evaluation. And after he did that, he kept getting pestered by the people at Trump University to change the review to a positive one. And he finally gave in and did that. So there are a number of people all lining up in this story. You know, kudos to New York Times for putting all this together. But a number of people all saying the same thing, that these Trump University positive reviews are likely the result of pressure, um, almost coercion, to turn these in. And then, of course, if you are suing to get your money back, some people spent $36,000 going to Trump University, you know, because a lot of times with these sorts of things, you come in for a cheaper course and then they upsell you to buy the more and more expensive one. And the top one is some $35,000 gold program. Trump Gold Elite is what it's called. Um, and, and they get sucked into this. And sometimes they just go ahead through the normal procedures and get your money back. That's how a lot of these you know, sort of schemes make money is by, you know, promising your money back. But some of them later just go ahead and try to sue. And what do they use as defense? They say, look, you gave us a glowing evaluation. How could you be suing and saying that you're dissatisfied and you didn't get what you were promised if you gave us a glowing evaluation? So they're poking holes in that. I did I did see a story earlier in the week that those who have 
gone after Trump University and spoken out against Trump University, that those people are being harassed by the Trump people as well. Uh, so let's get into the issue of the police report. And I don't know if you heard this story earlier this week. So uh, Michelle Fields, who, as I understand, is a Breitbart reporter. She's also a frequent contributor on Cashing In. She went to a Trump rally uh, or a Trump event, a Trump event, actually, where there's press. And she wanted to ask a question, went up to ask a question, probably some sort of a confrontational question to Trump. And she was physically assaulted by someone, perhaps the campaign manager, Lewandowski. Um, she says that Lewandowski strong-handed her on Tuesday night as she tried to ask Trump a question following a press conference in Jupiter, Florida. And a Washington Post reporter named Ben Terrace has backed up her claim. And as Joel is talking about here in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio, apparently Lewandowski admitted doing this to another reporter at Breitbart and said, oh, well, we wouldn't have done it if we knew it was a Breitbart reporter. Now, why is that, that they wouldn't have done it if it was, you know, they knew it was a Breitbart reporter? Breitbart, to a large extent, has been carrying water for Trump. Um, I think also that Drudge Report has been doing it to a large extent. A lot of pro-Trump and anti-Cruz headlines over at Drudge Report. It's been, you know, pathetic to such an extent that I've actually stopped going to Drudge Report. I used to like it as a source, even though I would complain about it here and there. I would use it as a source, a, you know, a good collection of, of the top news stories. I can't even go there anymore. I feel like it's endorsing Trump to give clicks to the Drudge Report website. That's about how I'm feeling. So I've been going to other sources to get my info. Um, but in any event, yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see with the police investigation what that turns up. I hope that the investigators there at the Jupiter Police Department in Florida are really, really good and they're going to get to the bottom of this because it's certainly a story that all of us are following. It's going to be important to know, you know who it is at the top of Trump's organization and, and how they behave. If you know his own campaign manager is someone who has no problem strong-arming a journalist, this is disturbing. Joel in the chat room says, can we start a never dredge hashtag? I think I should. You know, it's so funny. I would just almost reflexively check out Drudge at least a couple times a day just to see what, you know, the news was. I thought he had a good collection of news. I would get very annoyed when he would link to Alex Jones and all of that conspiracy theory stuff. I felt horribly suckered whenever I would click a link and it ended up going to Alex Jones's website. But other than that and other than a few, you know, sensational things here and there, there's a bit of populism little bit of anti-Apple going on. I mean, I guess there's been, you know, over a period of time, a lot of stuff that I've seen wrong. But this has just been horrible. It, is, it has definitely been horrible. And I'm, I'm thinking of not going there anymore because of his support for Dredge. I just don't, I mean, excuse me, his report for Trump. That was a Freudian slip, right? Trump versus Dredge. To, to think, though, that Dredge is perhaps as nihilistic as Trump, I don't, I don't know. I mean, what is it that appeals to whoever the supporters at Breitbart are, or so, you know, the Drudge himself? I honestly have no idea what it is about Trump that's appealing. Because whatever may have appealed to some people, honestly, at the beginning, 
I think they should have woken up to the reality by now. Uh, you know, every time that he's asked to give a detailed policy answer and he can't and he just talks about making deals like he you know fumbled that Cuba answer last night he just kept talking about making a deal making a deal over and over he showed he didn't know his stuff at all how can people continue to support him he's he's going to continue the entitlement programs he will probably repeal Obamacare and replace it with Trump care which will be very similar to Obama except he's going to strong arm better deals for everybody and he might do a little bit of you know open competition window dressing maybe he would allow you know uh, insurance companies to compete over state lines or something but otherwise it's just going to be about him Trump a businessman making a better deal on every single front and I just I just don't see that that's going to be a positive development. I don't, I don't see how these people can support him. Uh, ben Shapiro has sort of laid down the gauntlet. And as I understand, Ben Shapiro is connected with Breitbart. So I don't know what the fallout from this is going to be. But this is a headline from Breitbart itself. It says, Ben Shapiro to Megan Kelly. Breitbart would call for Lewandowski's firing if he were on Hillary's campaign. So Shapiro is calling out Breitbart as shilling for Trump. Thursday night, and yeah, here he is. He's the senior editor at large uh, and also the Daily Wire editor-in-chief. He went on the Kelly file to discuss Michelle Fields' uh, assault at the hands of Lewandowski. Opposing him was David Wall, an attorney and Trump supporter. Kelly recounted the entire story, and Shapiro says, about Breitbart, of course, he says, I'm not going to speak for management. I'm not privy to those decisions. My understanding is the statement released by Larry Solov, who's the CEO, has called for the Trump campaign to apologize and for Lewandowski to apologize. He says, I personally feel that's wildly insufficient. They should be calling for Lewandowski to be fired. If this had been Hillary's campaign manager dragging Michelle Fields down to the ground, I didn't realize the assault got that nasty, he says, dragging down to the ground, there's no question they'd be calling for Lewandowski to be fired. It's ridiculous. And then Kelly asked about the pushback from Lewandowski, his allegations that Fields was an attention seeker, and Shapiro didn't hold back. Lewandowski, he says, is a thug, and Donald Trump is a thug for backing him. This has been a verified account. There's a report in the Daily Beast this morning that Lewandowski specifically went to Matt Boyle over at Breitbart, a guy I know, and said to Matt Boyle that if he'd known it was a Breitbart reporter, he wouldn't have done it. As if that's a justification, right? As though that's a justification. As though you can go after somebody who's not a Breitbart reporter just because Breitbart is friendlier to Trump than other publications. The whole thing's absurd, end quote from Shapiro. So bravo again to Shapiro for speaking out. I don't know what the consequences for him over at Breitbart are going to be. It's not surprising that in a bigger organization like Breitbart, you're going to have a split over something like this. And are they going to be able to handle this in a, a civil way? Are they going to continue to shill for Trump after all this? It's pretty crazy if they do. If people want to call in and talk about Trump or any of the other stories I'm about to get into, you can call at 760 5817 760-888-5817. Uh, Joel says that Lewandowski actually tweeted after the exchange with Boyle and said that Michelle Fields was delusional. Uh, 
great. So he admits to doing it, but she's delusional. And, you know, this is another, you know, tactic of, it makes you wonder, right, if he's saying that Fields was delusional. Maybe he's the one that's out there manning the Twitter on behalf of Trump. Not sure. Um, Oh, they're talking about low information voters in the chat room and thing. It's interesting. I think that Cruz used the phrase low information voters when referring to Trump voters the other day. And is low information an insult of some kind? That was, I think, the question there. And the fact that someone is low information doesn't tell you why they're low information. Maybe people need to be better informed. And this is what so many of us are trying to do, better inform people, spread all of these links, these stories about Trump I do over at DontLetItGo.com, try to inform people better. Why are they low information voters? Why do they feel like they can go out there and vote knowledgeably about these candidates without getting the full amount of information? I'm not exactly sure. Um, yeah, Sir DMZ says, yep, that Cruz started the low information topic. That's pretty brave, I would say, you know, to, to go out there and challenge voters and say, some of you are low information, you need to get more information. I can't imagine that Cruz would say it in an offensive way, but he speaks his mind. He speaks his mind in a, in a very composed way, but he does uh, speak his mind. Manuel in the chat room says, seems enough that people have gotten enough info on Trump and don't care. There's going to be a lot more information on Trump coming And the feeling is that there's a lot of stuff about Trump that the mainstream media are holding on to. They're waiting. After he gets the nomination, they're going to dump all this out there and then, you know, just lay a red carpet for Hillary to walk right into the White House. So people do need to try to get as much information as they can. I think there's plenty of information out there. Someone who even jokes about using Hitler salutes at his rallies, particularly when the rallies have already been places where violence has been stirred up, is horribly dangerous. I would think that anybody rational would realize that you can't just say, oh, we're having a good time, we're all joking about this Heil Hitler salute promising to vote for Trump and other various things, you know. And again, you know, the thing that he said, he would keep Apple here, right? He would make Apple manufacture more things in the United States. They couldn't manufacture all this stuff in China. How would he do it? He would somehow persuade them by making a deal. It sounds like the kind of, quote, deals that the FBI is trying to make with Apple right now, i.e. threatening them. And um, maybe that's a story that we should go ahead and switch to now. I've got a couple of stories on the ongoing dispute between Apple and the FBI. One, Rob Ebier gave it to me the other day. Thanks, Rob, for this. Senate bill. There's a bill that's going to be introduced in the Senate that will impose fines on tech companies that refuse to unlock smartphones. Right? If you remember, there have been... Uh, you know, actually a couple briefs and there's been a court ruling now in New York that has pointed to the fact that Congress has refused to actually legislate about this issue, that Congress has been given the opportunity to take up legislation on the issue of whether there should be either routine backdoors or backdoors in the case of, you know, criminal investigations or terrorist investigations, that Congress 
had the opportunity to consider this, has refused to even take up the legislation, and so therefore the courts should not step in and do this work. And now the Senate, I guess, is responding by saying they're going to go ahead and have this new piece of legislation imposing fines if they refuse to unlock these smartphones. Um, and it's a bipartisan bill. They say it's set to be formally announced next week to force the tech companies to do this. I fear that it is going to pass. Why? Because we even have Cruz, who's, I think, the best candidate on privacy who's still standing. Cruz is saying that, yes, Apple should comply with the court order to help law enforcement bypass encryption on, oh, just these few phones, right? As if that's going to, if it's going to stop there. It's not going to stop there. This is a story from ZDNet.com. Two leading senators are poised to announce a draft bill that would impose penalties for refusing to comply with a court order. Senators Richard Burr, a Republican from North Carolina, and Dianne Feinstein from my home state of California, will reveal the legislation as early as next week, according to sources speaking to Reuters. It would compel companies to comply with the court orders or face civil fines similar, uh, similar to contempt of court charges. The unreleased legislation would not, it says, seek criminal penalties. Oh, okay, so they're just going to steal money. They're not going to seek criminal penalties and actually put them in jail. They wouldn't want Apple to actually stop working. They just want to force them to do their bidding and or pay a lot of money. They say the bill echoes similar draft proposals announced at the state level in California and New York. Oh, well, that's scary. Both of which would prohibit the sale of encrypted devices that can't be opened by law enforcement. So California wants to actually mandate a backdoor in California. Wow. That is scary. I didn't even know about that. So again, thanks, Rob, for this story. They say the bill faces the uphill battle given the political explosion, etc. Uh, we'll have to see what happens with this legislation. But I think once it is introduced, it might be time to call your senators. Of course, one of my senators is one of the people who introduced it, so I guess I wouldn't have much luck there. Sir DMZ says Apple should offshore their iOS development and encryption tech. Yeah, it's starting to sound like that. There are some companies who, in reaction to this, and, and Rob gave me this story a couple weeks ago, some companies are already moving their development offshore in reaction to this. Another development in the case comes directly from the FBI. The FBI is warning that it could just demand Apple's iPhone code. On Thursday, yesterday, FBI threatened to raise the stakes in its legal battle with Apple, suggesting it might demand access to the iPhone maker's source code and secret electronic signature used to verify the legitimacy of its software updates. Imagine, FBI says, oh, you're not going to comply with what we want, even if what we want is extremely dangerous, even if what we want is moving us quickly in the direction of George Orwell's 1984. If you don't comply, we are going to demand very valuable proprietary information but, you know, don't worry, if we take that very valuable proprietary information from you, you can trust us with it. We're not going to lose it. It's not going to be hacked, stolen, distributed to your competitors, distributed overseas, et cetera, et cetera. FBI is 
forcing, trying to force Apple to write a special version of the software with some security features disabled. As you all know, Apple's challenging the order. But in a court filing on Thursday, the FBI said that if it can't require Apple to create the weakened software, it may demand access to what it described as Apple's crown jewels instead. FBI is describing it as this. They're saying we can force you to turn over crown jewels. This is horrible. I am hoping beyond hope that Apple continues to hang strong with this, that Apple does not turn over any source code to the FBI in any way other than the FBI showing up at Cupertino with guns and a lot of cameras filming the FBI showing up there with the guns just to let everybody know the true nature of what is going on, that this is initiation of force by government in destruction of the tremendous value that Apple has created for us. This is really, really disturbing. And a hat tip to Stephen Bailey for giving me that article. This is super, super scary. Again, go to don'tletitgo.com. Don'tletitgo.com is where you can find links to all of the articles that I'm talking about today. Now let's see what we got going here in the chat room. I think they were talking a little bit about people getting more information. Yeah, Rush Limbaugh created the term low information voter a long time ago. Yes, but to bring it into presidential debates is another thing. There were some people, by the way, who were criticizing Cruz for not bringing up the Michelle Fields incident at the debate. And I'm thinking that, first of all, it might have been a little bit too early, that you want to let this play out first. But remember, Cruz and everybody else, they were trying to restrain themselves and not really at the debate last night attack each other. Uh, it it went for you know a bit of a low-energy debate. It made Kasich look like he had the most energy of the bunch, essentially. But I think that's what they were trying to do. Now they're talking about different people having to turn over their secret formula. How does how to Coke avoid turning over a secret formula, et cetera? I I don't know the ins and outs of the lots of this, but I know that this is exceedingly immoral. That the FBI is trying to achieve what it couldn't even achieve by means of legislation using the courts and using this pressure that they think that they have. Why should it be that the FBI is able to force Apple to turn this over? I don't think that they should be able to do that at all. Now we're talking about how could you have voters not be low information, et cetera, Joel says, exit polls in Michigan showed that Trump had 67 unfavorable, 67% unfavorables, historically bad and completely insurmountable. Trump has a high floor. Why? Because of the suicide cult he's running, he says. But he has an impenetrable ceiling. So the high floor, I guess, is the 33% who think that they can go ahead and vote for him. Uh, again, Joel had said earlier in the chat room, I'm not sure if I said this, that yes, Trump could get all these Democratic crossover voters to stay with him, but at the same time, he's going to lose two-thirds of the Republican voters, that that's the danger for him. That's what he's playing with. And so if you think that he could even win the general, it is completely, completely ridiculous. Um, just Jean is talking about the Apple thing, imposing fines. She says, interesting, because it is and should not be a matter of money on either side. I mean, 
what they're doing, Gene, is, is in effect doing what we do in foreign policy. You know how we use sanctions, trade sanctions and stuff. You're trying to use the pressure of money to get them what you, you, know, you want them to do behavior-wise. Money instead of force, instead of threats to either you know, kill them, bomb them, and in the case of Apple, put anybody in jail. They'd rather put the financial pressure on them. And then what would be interesting is for Apple customers to say, okay, well, if you have to pay some fines and that's going to result in an increase in the price of my iPhone or whatever, I guess I'd rather have a more expensive iPhone and continue to defy this unjust policy rather than, you know, actually give that up. Um, I don't I don't know whether Apple could afford it. Surely they're going to try to have a very steep fine that Apple could not afford and that's going to bankrupt them. I will be very, very curious to see how this turns out. I want to see Apple continue to stand up against this. It's got some powerful allies in the tech sector. Will those allies stay with them throughout all of this? I, I really do want to see this. Um, now they're talking about whether... Uh, I guess Cruz is helped by all of this policy here. And, yeah, Cruz is going to need to scoop up Trump voters, and it's not clear if he's going to be able to. So if Trump wins in some of these other places, I you know, then there's no way. It, I mean, we, we're just going to have to see what happens. I hope that this deal is going to make it possible for Cruz to get the nomination. I don't think it can make it possible for Rubio to get the nomination. I don't know how many how many delegates are at stake in Florida, by the way, Joel. Do you know what? If if uh, Rubio, even if he wins Florida, I don't think he's got a path to the presidency, right? The only ones who have a path as of now are both Cruz and Trump. Those are the only two, as, as I understand it, who have any possible path to getting the 1237 that's needed. But um, Joel is saying that a vote for Trump is actually a vote for the Democrat Party nominee. And he says, try pointing that out to the members of Trump's suicide cult. They're not interested. Sir DMZ says, if Bernie fails to get the Democratic bid with the way his campaign is built, most of his people have already threatened to vote for Trump if Bernie isn't the candidate. So if it's Hillary versus Trump, Trump is going to gain a bunch of Democratic votes. Yikes. That is scary. Ed says it's going to be 99 winner-take-all votes. But I think even with the 99, still puts Rubio at quite a deficit compared to Cruz, and I don't see how it could happen. And surely Cruz is going to take some of these other states that he's concentrating on. Joel is clarifying here and correcting what I said a couple minutes ago. He says Cruz does not need to win over Trump voters. He just needs to unify the anti-Trump voters. And the question is, can he? And there's a couple of stories that I have in the program notes that talk about this. And there has, there's been that video out there that was from USA Today, I think originally started this. They tried to give a neurobiological explanation as to why people don't like Cruz. Some people just don't like Cruz. A journalist over at Hot Air by the name of Alan uh, Bordius, I think. I don't, Bordius is maybe how you pronounce it. I haven't tried to pronounce his name before. But he's now a Facebook friend of mine. So, Alan, I don't know if you ever listen to this, but 
thanks for this if you do. What he's talking about is the way that he believes that Cruz could win. And he thinks, of course, it's not just a matter of mathematics, that Cruz needs to make some specific changes in the way that he's campaigning in order to do this. So he thinks, first of all, Cruz should reinvent his stump speech that instead of, quote, pitching fear and reactionary solutions, he says that's really that, you know, uh, approach has been cornered by Donald Trump. He says instead take a page from Marco Rubio and be visionary first, adversarial, a distant second. Um, I think it would be good for Cruz to be a bit more visionary. We don't want him to, you know, do the broken record 21st century, 21st century over and over, you know, the America we leave to our grandkids. It gets to be a broken record for Rubio, but it would be nice to add a bit of that. I don't think that being adversarial should be a distant second, though, because there is the justified rage out there. And so I think you need to combine a bit of a visionary approach, because we do want to have some inspiration here, with showing that you have concrete solutions to the problems that have made people angry. And Cruz is uniquely capable of doing all of those things. Rubio has done a good job here and there, but he does come across as a bit immature as a debater as compared to Cruz. Cruz has an incredible resume, tons of substance, a principled take on so many policies that he can come in and combine those in a good way. It would be nice. Um, what I do like about Alan's piece here, though, is he says that some people complain and say that Cruz's delivery is like a Baptist preacher. And he says, no, I'm a little more charitable and say that Cruz always thinks he's delivering a closing argument to a jury rather than speaking to an electorate. And I, I would agree. You know, this and, you know, sometimes they think, oh, Cruz sounds like a pastor. No, I do. I think it's more the lawyer in him that you're hearing, and it's the adversarial lawyer that you're hearing as well. Uh, the second prong that Alan recommends for Cruz is he thinks that Cruz should make peace with the establishment. I don't know that I like this one as much as the other one. I, I do like the idea of, of Cruz adopting a little bit more of a visionary approach, again, continuing to do what he is doing so well which is lay out concrete policies that show solutions to problems. But, um, you know, here, make peace with the establishment. What he is proposing in particular is that Cruz should apologize to Mitch McConnell. He says Cruz should apologize to Mitch McConnell for calling Mitch McConnell a liar on the floor of the Senate. My only question is, did McConnell lie about the things that Cruz said he lied about? If he did, then what is the apology based on? Is the apology based on some sort of decorum? I don't think that there's actually been a history of tremendous decorum on the floor of the Senate or the House. There's you know, a freedom from libel laws, at least, when you're there. And there's been all sorts of you know records of you know, debates about this. But th this this idea that he should apologize simply to make peace with the establishment, I don't, I don't think that that's a good thing. I don't know that that would serve him, you know, very well at all. There's so many of the Cruz supporters, right? 
sorry, I was talking nonstop. I needed to take a sip of water there because I'm feeling the uh, the dry tickle in the throat here. Let me take one more because I don't want to have a squeaky voice. Um, there's so many supporters, and Cruz talks about this. He says that people tell him, do not become one of them. Those who put him into his Senate job in the first place, a Senate seat. Why did he get that? He got that because he struck people as the kind of person who would not become one of the so-called Washington cartel, the D.C. cartel. Don't become one of them. So I think that if he apologized to Mitch McConnell, I think any way that he did it, even if he tried to say, well, it wasn't the best way to point out the fact that McConnell was untruthful and the blow... Even if he did it that way, I think a lot of his support would wither. And Joel in the chat room seems to agree. He says, Cruz does not need to make peace with the establishment. If they hate Trump enough, they will have to make peace with him, end quote. Yes, and that's what we've seen, right? Lindsey Graham, who very recently was making a joke about, you know, if you killed Ted Cruz on the floor of the Senate, nobody would do anything about it. You know, it couldn't be prosecuted. Even he lately has said that people need to rally behind Ted Cruz in order to defeat Trump. And I do hope that the deal that we've heard about this morning is part of doing just that. Um, Okay, Dahmer Nieto, that's the way I'm pronouncing it, in the chat room here, welcome, I haven't seen you here before, is asking, is there a link about the nonsense deal in the show notes? No, I have posted that link, though, as a public post on my Facebook page. I'll go ahead and add that link to the show notes right after the show is over. I'm not really adept at adding links while I'm sitting here talking. Some people are good at doing those things, but I can barely keep up with chat and and keep my train of thought and everything else. By the way, I did want to say a little bit about this issue of, you know, what motivates people to do what they do politically. And in particular, I wanted to call out Rubio, because Rubio last night was explaining essentially why he's staying in the race, even though he's doing so badly. And he told this whole story. You know, he says, I went home to my wife and I was really disappointed in the latest results. And, you know, oh, my gosh, how can I stay in the race? And then there is this guy and he describes a man who recently got out of surgery. And I guess he's supposed to stay home and being recovered And instead of staying home and recovering from his surgery, he's going out to, I guess, polling places or other places where people are gathering. And he's sitting in a chair and holding a Rubio sign. So he's this guy is loyal to Rubio and Rubio feels like he can't let that guy down. Therefore, he has to stay in the race. And I just want to say. No disrespect to the loyalty of the guy or Rubio's feeling of loyalty. to uh, That is the lamest reason to stay in a race that I have ever heard. Now, if this deal is legit, this deal that they're striking this morning, and they're going to be able to, this is the best path to stop Trump by giving Ohio to Kasich and giving Florida to Rubio and then getting Cruz you know, to just try to get the bulk of the electoral votes after that. If this is the way to do it, then yes, please, Rubio, go ahead and make a glorious last stand in Florida. I'm all with you. But the idea that you just stay in as long as there's this guy sitting out there with a Rubio sign, come hell or high water, and by hell, I mean 
a Trump presidency. That is ridiculous, right? Um, Matt in the chat room says that he thinks that the deal is acknowledgement that Casio, excuse me, Casio, <laughs> Casio, I like that one, that Casio know that they are done. That was inadvertent, but I meant to say Kasich and, and Rubio, so I'll just call them Casio from now on. <sighs> Selfishness in the chat room says, what happened to influencing the party platform? Yeah, of course there is influencing the party p- platform, but we are beyond that. We are in major damage control territory. We do not want a Trump nomination. A Trump nomination will mean a Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders presidency at this point. We need to stop Trump. And maybe yeah, people like my KCO in the chat room. Yeah, You know, I, I love the brain. The brain comes up with the darndest things. It's the brain that had me last week referring to, um, you know, tying up a package in a bow and that was during my show when I was talking about the size of a penis being an inappropriate topic for presidential debates and stuff. And here I am talking about package this and package that. It was completely inadvertent. Casio is, is another one of these. So I, I love the brain, the, the way that the brain works. So, yeah, so make peace with the establishment. I reject that. I'm glad to see that Joel rejects that, too. Finally, see what you think of this one, Joel. Wake up to a big tent strategy that Cruz should stop, in effect, catering simply to evangelicals, and he should show that he could bring more people into the tent. He refers to the woman who's been in Skinamax films, I guess, who had inadvertently shown up in a Cruz, a pro-Cruz ad, and then they cut those ads out. He says they should have kept those. And then moreover, and, and what happened now? Since the time that they cut those ads, Miss Lindsay has now come out in support of Trump, Big surprise. Then what he says, what um, Alan says that we should have done or that Cruz should do, is get Caitlyn Jenner on the campaign trail. Have them do joint appearances. He says the left heads are already detonating after her not quite endorsement of Cruz. He says go ahead and play it up. Uh, What's Jenner's hesitancy on fully backing Cruz? Probably the evangelical Christianity bent and that hasn't really done Cruz many favors right because in some of the states where there was a strong evangelical vote I'm thinking of South Carolina and at least one other southern state where Cruz did not do as well among evangelicals as he thought he would yet Joel is echoing that here in the chat room he says that Cruz has been losing to Trump in the southern evangelical states I know for sure we saw that in South Carolina I'm thinking also Kentucky but I blame Kentucky on Rand Paul and McConnell as well. And I think Rand Paul in particular didn't. Oh, Mississippi was bad for him too, says Joel. Yeah, that sounds right. So we're going to, we're really going to have to see what happens. But that's Alan's take that Cruz can do some things, not just, you know, continue on doing what he's doing right, but he can tweak some things and that's going to help him win. The math and science of how he can actually stop Donald Trump is, has been discussed a couple places. I've got a Horowitz piece that I linked to over at DontLetItGo.com, and the one that I've pulled up right now is from 538, Nate Silver's website. Nate Silver is a liberal who just happens to be very good at calculating all of the prospects for the candidates in elections. <laughs> it says, Ted Cruz might be able to stop Donald Trump. All he needs is for Rubio to drop out three weeks ago. Well, I hope that that's not true. 
he says, the good news for the Republican, quote, establishment is that there's a man who might be able to stop Donald Trump. The bad news is that it's Ted Cruz, someone they may dislike almost as much. Cruz, who won Idaho on Tuesday while finishing second to Trump in Michigan, Mississippi, and Hawaii, is within striking distance of Trump. So far, 29% of the primary voters have voted for Cruz as compared with 35% for Trump. Meanwhile, Cruz trails Trump by 100 delegates, not a trivial gap, but it's only one more than the 99 at stake in Florida. He says the problem for Cruz is that Florida and the rest of the calendar probably aren't as favorable to him as the states that have voted so far. Florida looks like a Trump state as Marco Rubio loses ground. Let's hope that changes with this deal, right? He says, but Cruz does have a few things going for him. He's tended to outperform his polling almost everywhere. That's a very important point. Cruz is outperforming his polling. He's won states in all four major regions of the country, and he potentially stands to gain if Rubio and perhaps John Kasich drop out. Exit polls in Michigan and Mississippi asked voters who they'd pick in a two-way race between Trump and Cruz, also giving them the option to say that they'd sit out the race. Among Rubio voters on average between the two states, about 75% said that they'd still vote in a Trump-Cruz race, and of those, 80% would prefer Cruz to Trump. So I think that's pretty good news. Kasich voters were somewhat more equivocal. 55% said that they'd still vote, and of those, two-thirds would go to Cruz over Trump. So hopefully that wouldn't be too much of a factor. They say, although this is the first time the exit polls have asked about one-on-one matchups, the results are consistent with national polls, showing Trump losing ground as the field winnows, et cetera. So maybe there is a path. We're not going to see, really, whether there is a path until we see how this new strategy, this new deal, plays out. Sally in the chat room is saying that there's no difference between the GOP establishment, which rejects Cruz based on emotion, and Trump voters who want Trump based on emotion. Yes. That's right. And then the question is, can some of the GOP establishment be persuaded to give up whatever their knee-jerk emotion is and go with reason? It sounds like Lindsey Graham has come around a bit. I'm wondering if Jeb Bush has come around a bit. Bush's brother, by the way, Jeb Bush's brother works in the finance department of the Cruz campaign. So that's kind of a cool thing. Let's see what else I've got over here to talk about in the last few minutes. Ted Cruz might still be able to stop Donald Trump. Yeah, there's a few articles along those lines. And then finally, I've got a story that I think is a a bit of fun news. Can we still be a little bit positive around here? I'm hoping that we can. I saw this this morning. There is an attempt by scientists to clone extinct Ice Age lion cubs with frozen DNA with frozen DNA. So they have a picture, it's kind of sad, of one of these frozen, extinct Ice Age lion cubs, and they're going to take that DNA and use it to clone. I think this is something that they're doing in South Korea. Right now I've got the spinning rainbow of death in my article, so let me see if I can go ahead and and bring that article up again. But I think it would be really, really cool to see these Ice Age lion cubs, as long as you're not um, cloning the velociraptors, right? 
we could see all sorts of interesting dinosaurs and everything else. But I would love to see the baby lion cubs. I once held a baby lion cub. This was back in 2003, if I recall correctly. It used to be if you went to Las Vegas at the MGM Grand they had the lion habitat that was associated with the MGM Grand and they had a whole display, a big, you know, closed off area, but, you know, thick glass and everything. You could see all of these lion lions and lion cubs walking around this enclosure and it was a huge, huge tourist attraction there. And one of the things that they would do periodically whenever they did have baby lion cubs is they would allow you to pay for the opportunity to either sit there and have your picture taken with a lion cub, which was cheaper, or you could spend more money, and that money would go to support the lion habitat that they had there in Las Vegas. Uh, you pay more money, and you would get to have a five-minute encounter with the baby lion cub in a separate little closed-off room. So for Christmas one year, this was my gift that I got to spend five minutes with a baby lion cub. I've got some pictures of the whole thing. So I thought, okay, I've already held a baby lion cub and played with it for a few minutes. And this is, you know, sort of a bucket list kind of item to hold a baby lion cub. It was so adorable. It sat there chewing a little Nyla bone in my lap and everything. And now these scientists are making it that I'm going to have to put that item back on my bucket list. Why? Because I'm going to have to go hold an Ice Age extinct baby lion cub once they clone this. So now it's back on my bucket list. Um, again, everyone, I'm out of time now. Go to DontLetItGo.com if you want to check out all the program notes, all the things I've talked about in today's show. We will be watching the results in the next set of primaries coming up on Tuesday, and we'll talk about them with you next week. Same time, same place over here at Blog Talk Radio. Thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye.